This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you've ever felt like you're failing at being a disciple of Jesus, or even if you've just felt discouraged after making mistakes, today's episode is just for you. Okay, this is probably the 17th time we've tried to start this episode. We're almost about to bag it. Neil said that we should just do a 30-minute flute solo instead, but it's okay. We will spare you the flute solo. We'll spare you the flute solo. And I also will just go ahead and start off and try to start off with saying what I need to say, which is I made a mistake this week and hurt someone's feelings and had to reach out to a couple of people to apologize and apologized right on the day that it happened and then kind of circled back and apologized again today because it came up again today. And so anyway, I was in the temple right after I sent this like second apology and really meant it really was sincere. Like, Hey, you know what? I just, I really want to reach out one more time. Cause the person the first time was so gracious and like, Hey, I'm not offended. It's okay. Second time I reached out again and was like, I just have thought about this more. And I really want you to know that I'm sorry. I was wrong. I made a mistake. And then I walked into the temple and so I hadn't received a response yet, but I walked into the temple and was getting ready And for some reason, Peter came into my mind. And so we did our temple worship. We did a session. And then at the end, I pulled out John 18 and read through John 18 and 19. And it's really interesting to watch Peter as he goes through this progression of trying to basically be Jesus's best friend. He's very defensive of the Savior, especially when the situation happens where Judas basically sells out Jesus and brings this angry mob and they've got, it says something about they have weapons. And so Peter is so upset about this that he pulls a sword out and cuts the ear off of the man that is trying to take Jesus to prison. And Jesus says like, put that away. That's not necessary. That's not how we deal with this. And says, I'm here to do my father's will. And, but interestingly, right after that, so you got to think, Peter is thinking, I am just the most loyal friend to Jesus and I would go cut somebody's ear off for him. But then in another situation, just a little bit down the road, like that same chapter, Peter finds himself in three different situations where people are asking him, do you know Jesus? Yeah, the guy that you were with back when we were trying to arrest him. Nope, I don't know him. And he denies knowing the Savior three times. It's just interesting to to look at that and then to look at ourselves and to say, I think we are all imperfect disciples. If we are 
followers of Christ. And it was just Easter yesterday when this goes live. And I believe so much that we all, you know, people who are followers of Christ feel like Peter did when he cut that person's ear off. Like I am such a dedicated, loyal follower of the Savior, but then we make our mistakes too. And it's just really interesting to then watch how Jesus handles his next interaction with Peter. So he's resurrected. The disciples are all, you know, Mary comes and tells them that Jesus has risen. And then he comes to see his disciples. He comes to appear to them. And he talks to Peter. The first conversation that he has with Peter is, Peter, do you love me? And he says, you know, I love you. And he says, then feed my sheep feed my lambs. He tells him, asks him three times, do you love me? And on the last time he's like, I know that you know everything. So I know you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, then feed my lambs. And here's what I think is interesting about that. He doesn't reject Peter. He doesn't look at him in the crowd and go, oh yeah, I remember you. You're the one that, that when push came to shove or like when I was about to be crucified and you could have helped save me. You pretended you didn't know me. And I'll I'll give you like a polite smile, but we're not friends anymore. I mean, that's how most of us would react to somebody who threw us under the bus in our most needed moment of having a friend. And instead, Jesus is very instructive with Peter. And I think he kind of also wants him to see, okay, do you love me? He's kind of talking to him. In my opinion, he's talking to him like, hey, remember when that happened? Do you really love me? And Peter's like, you know, I love you. And Jesus is like, okay, feed my sheep. And basically this is what, I, this is what I'm gonna need you to do from here on out. And I think that's how the Savior works with us too. I don't think that he wants us to feel like, oh, now I'm a worthless person or... You know, now I have so much shame and guilt that I did something wrong because the truth is we're all just trying and making mistakes all the time. At least I am. So there there are some other things in the scriptures too that I want to talk about. But on this topic, Neil, what are your what are your first thoughts? Yeah, well, I love this topic. I think it's a great one. Um, first thing that pops in my mind is surprise, surprise, 12 step, you know, ARP meetings where it's just amazing to hear the, just the openness and the honesty of people who like sincerely from the depths of their heart really want to do good things, the right things, be better. And then, but are living, and, and this is how it was for me, just like living with this, brought this up before, I think on the podcast, but just this term cognitive dissonance, where it's like two opposing ideas being held in your mind at the same time. So on the one hand, it's like, yay, Lord, I believe, you know, like I am a disciple of Christ. I want to follow these things. But then on the other hand, it's like, there's maybe a a, a weakness or a natural man or addiction in the case of ARP that, you know, you're trying to work with and overcome that's contrary to discipleship. And so having that cognitive dissonance, kind of those two opposing ideas can be very confusing, frustrating, like discouraging and be very, very challenging trying to kind of, kind of span that gap and, and be, be congruent 
And so I think, and, and obviously like you look at the word atonement, that's at one mint, that's the whole point of the atonement is to, is to bring that all back together. So it's such a cool topic and in thinking about a lot of the great examples that we have in the scriptures and in, in people in general of people who are trying to do that and that were well-intended and are often striving to do good and be good, but obviously we're, we're fallible and imperfect. So there's a lot here to, to discuss. Really cool. And there's also not a ton about whatever Peter was thinking when he denied Jesus. And I'm sure whatever that situation was, it made sense in his mind in the moment. Whatever the justification was or whatever the reasoning was, or he was scared or he was pressured or he was whatever. And and I think that a lot of times too, when we make those mistakes in the moment, we're not even realizing I mean, I, certainly people go out and make mistakes and they're like, this is this is a bad idea, but I'm going to do it anyway. But oftentimes I think it's more like, well, Pilate is a great example. Pilate, you watch the struggle happen. That's a little bit more you can kind of see into his intentions because at first when he examines Jesus, he's like, I find no fault with this man. And then he's talking to Jesus and Jesus is like, and and he's saying to Jesus, do you not know that I have the power to put you to death or save you? And Jesus is like, you don't have power over me unless God gave it to you, unless it came from my father. So then Pilate brings him out and says, I, find, I still find no fault with this man. But then, but then someone comes to Pilate and says, now, wait a minute. If you're loyal to Caesar, there can only be one king. So if you're going to say that you are loyal to Caesar, then you can't also save this man who says he's the king of the Jews or king of, you know, he was born a king. Because when he asks Jesus, Jesus says, yes, I'm, I was born a king. I'm the son of God. So you watch Pilate kind of struggle and go back and forth. And, and like, he's trying to do the right thing. And especially when Jesus kind of gives him that, you know what, you don't have power over me unless God gave it to you. I think he feels that. And he's like, oh, I know that this is a man of God and I probably should save him. I think he knows that and he feels it in his heart. But then when people are like, oh, wait, if you do that, you won't be loyal to Caesar. Then he kind of backpedals and is like, okay, let's crucify him. And then he makes sure that he writes on that sign Jesus, King of the Jews. And it's written in, I read today, I don't know that I've ever paid attention to this, but I read that Pilate wrote it in like several languages just so that everybody would know, oh, this is why we're killing him. So that Pilate doesn't look bad. And that's what he's like mostly worried about. So anyway, my point in bringing all of that up is that I don't think Pilate woke up and said, I'm going to kill an innocent man today because he was just like straight up evil. You watch the the struggle, the back and forth, where he says, I find no fault. But then within the progression and at the end of the day, he does basically serve Jesus up to be crucified. And I think that that's kind of relatable for us too, like where we have these struggles of, like you're saying, cognitive dissonance, where we want to be, we want to follow the Savior, but also 
we make mistakes and we make them all the time. No, I think that that's a great point. And what, what I do love to about that, um, you know, in, in mentioning Peter before, like Christ knew and even told him before mm-hmm. he's like, Peter's professing his, his love and his desire to serve this and follow Christ. And then Christ turns to him and says, Hey, the cock will crow three times. And uh, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. And so he calls it out, obviously knowing all things that are going to happen, but still with total love and compassion and understanding. And so I think the the love that Christ has for us and the understanding of our human nature mm-hmm. and our fallen state and, and fallibility that even though we have desires to follow Christ. And I think of also in the, like in the garden of Gethsemane too, where he's, you know, he tells his disciples, he's going to perform the atonement in the garden of Gethsemane. He's like, Hey, watch with me. And then goes off and prays by himself, comes back there sleeping. And he's like, Hey, could you not, just watch with me for an hour, like an hour, yeah. just, just be awake for this time. But he's like, but understands, you know, the spirit is willing, willing, but the flesh is weak. So I, I think there's a, it's a, it's really amazing to see how Christ understands and has mm-hmm. compassion and love. And I think that as part of being on earth and being experiencing the challenges of mortality and, but obviously handling that perfectly, it, having that understanding to where there can be a complete 100% full understanding of just how hard that is to have those desires to follow what is right, but then to be faced with challenges that are contrary to what those desires might be. And I think it's easy to, uh, first of all, I love your points. And I didn't even think about how Jesus had told Peter, you're going to do this. And so even though the Savior knows what our mistakes are or what they're going to be, he doesn't hold back at all. He doesn't treat Peter differently. He doesn't treat him like, oh yeah, you're you're the one who's actually not going to love me. He treats him still with love and compassion And I think it's easy sometimes to look at these people and be like, oh, I would never do that. But as I was reading the scriptures again today in a, in a humbled state where I'm thinking, how, how am I like some of the people who imperfectly were trying to be disciples of Christ? I read the account about Thomas being, you know, people call him doubting Thomas, but also as you read that whole account, so Jesus is resurrected. They go to find him in the tomb. He's not there, you know, or Mary finds that he's not there. She's upset. She goes and tells all of the disciples, they go to the tomb. They're all upset. They all go home and she, she sits back basically, and then sees Jesus. And then when Jesus comes to see all of his apostles, Thomas isn't there. He's the one out of the 12 who is not there. So he's off doing something else. I don't know. I can't remember if it says exactly where he is, but he's not physically there where everyone else was. And they got to see Jesus. And then when they tell Thomas, oh my gosh, you missed it. He's alive. He says, I can't believe this until I see him. 
And I think until today, because I was just, I think there was a few things I was feeling humbled, trying to just read the scriptures and get some spiritual clarity and direction and all of that. And also just being in the temple is a really quiet, peaceful place to really be able to take in the scriptures. As I'm reading that account, I'm going, well, if I watched someone die right in front of my eyes and what had not learned about resurrection, and maybe they did, maybe Jesus instructed them all about resurrection. I don't know. Is that something that they talked about before he died, that he was going to be resurrected? Yeah, it was prophesied. Okay. And he spoke about it. Okay. They so they know that's the know plan. They fully understood exactly what that meant. but So maybe he didn't understand, but I'm just trying to put myself in his shoes and go, okay, if I watched someone die before my eyes, would I be able to believe that, oh, they came back to life? I, I just had a little bit more compassion for Thomas today where I was like, okay, I could see how I would make that mistake too. Being like, I just, I don't know if I can believe it until I see him. And then when he does see Jesus and he comes and appears again and Thomas is like, I just can't even believe this. And he says, come feel my hands, feel my side where they, you know, thrust, uh, spear or something in his side. And so then Thomas, once he feels his hands and the side, his Jesus' side, then he's like, okay, now I believe. And again, instead of condemning him in like a harsh or shameful way, Jesus still uses it as a moment to be instructive, but in a really loving way where he's like, you are blessed because you believe, but also even more blessed are those who believe without seeing. And so he's able to use that as an instructive moment, but it's done with love and with compassion and understanding, just like you're talking about where Thomas was coming from. And so I I just felt like today, I read those stories in a little bit of a different light. And it's probably because I was, again, humbled and feeling, and I'm not trying to be like, I'm so humble. (laughs) I'm just trying to say that I, you know, when you make a mistake and you feel stupid and you're just trying to like search for something that makes you feel better. And that, and so being in the temple today, I was like, I need to find some spiritual strength and instruction and direction. And so those things really stood out to me. The other person that I thought was really interesting was Nicodemus because the scriptures also talk about Nicodemus meeting with Jesus in the night and he, you know, befriended Jesus. But Nicodemus, I think Nicodemus knows that Jesus is the son of God, but also Nicodemus is this like powerful, influential man in his faith. And so if he were to say, oh, this is the new guy, this is the new, he would have to completely leave everything that he's built his life around. And as this prominent leader in his church and in his faith, it would be giving up basically everything, all of your, all of your prominence, all of your influence, all of your probably money to everything basically. And although Nicodemus just, he can't quite bring himself to do that 
right after Jesus dies, he shows up and is offering these gifts to try to honor the Savior and to help embalm him. Is that the right word? Embal- the mm-hmm. embalming. So I I looked at that too and thought, okay, I could see how it's relatable. It's relatable to look at someone like Nicodemus and see that, and just to examine myself and say, are there things in my life where I, where pride or where the world or where worldly things that are not of God pull me away sometimes from being completely 100% converted to the Savior and and being more like him. It's just something that I I felt like reading the scriptures today, these things made so much more sense to me in a new way that they haven't before. Yeah, absolutely. And it's cool to see how the stories of the scriptures can do that and can bring things to light and then read differently depending on what's going on in your life. But I think overall, this is just such a such a powerful topic because it's, I mean, anybody can relate to it. If you're a human being and you're trying to do what's right, I mean, I think for the most part, everyone's trying to do what's right or desiring to do what's right, but there's just challenges, there's temptations, there's opposition, and it has to be that way. That's the, that's by design. But I love one of my favorite talks from Elder Holland, a leader in our church. He gave this talk. It's called Be Ye Therefore Perfect Eventually. Um, a while back, back in October of 2017. But he he talks about, specifically about this concept of we have this, I'm trying to be like Jesus and, and you know, all of these scriptures that, that, you know, even say, be, be therefore perfect, even as your father in heaven is imperfect, is, is perfect. I mean, that's a pretty high standard that we're reaching for as, as Christians or as believing in God or trying to be better. And there's obviously going to be a lot of times that you fall short, but I love what he says here. He says in this talk, he, he says, brothers and sisters, every one of us aspires to be aspires to a more Christ-like life than we often succeed in living. If we admit that honestly and are trying to improve, we're not hypocrites, we're human. May we refuse to let our own mortal follies and the inevitable shortcomings of even the best men and women around us make us cynical about the truths of the gospel, the truthfulness of the church, or hope for our future, or even, or the possibility of godliness. If we persevere then somewhere in eternity, our refinement will be finished and complete, which is the New Testament meaning of perfection. Hmm. So really cool, just a couple of different concepts there of, of like if we're striving to be like Christ and we're sincerely trying to improve and we're using the atonement, like it's, we're not hypocritical. I think that there can be this, this notion that if I'm not hitting that mark or if there's something in my character, nature, or behavior that, that is a little off or maybe not up to par as far as Christian ideals. And, and if I'm not perfectly living these things, then I'm a hypocrite. I think that, you know, it's cool that he, what he says there. And, and I love, there's this story that he shares about this just before that quote, he mentions, he says, in that regard, Leo Tolstoy wrote once of a priest who was criticized 
by one of his congregants for not living as resolutely as he should. Hmm. The critic concluding that the principles the erring preacher taught must therefore also be erroneous. Mm. In response to that criticism, the priest says, Look at my life now and compare it to my former life. You will see that I am trying to live out the truth I proclaim. Unable to live up to the high ideals he taught, the priest admits he has failed, but he cries, Attack me if you wish. I do this myself. But don't attack the path I follow. If I know the way home, but am walking along it drunkenly, is it any less the right way simply because I am staggering from side to side? Do not gleefully shout, look at him, there he is crawling into a bog. No, do not gloat. But give your help to anyone trying to walk the road back to God. Really, really powerful. I love, that's probably like one of my favorite parts of that talk. As I just think, it just makes me think of recovery. It just makes me think of, I, I've just heard so many people in the rooms of recovery who are just like, man, I am trying so hard and I want this so bad. And I like from the depths of their soul, um, trying to live a good life, but are just struggling and doing things that are contrary to that. And they're being honest about it. And I think of somebody walking that, that path that they're trying to walk the covenant path, but, but literally maybe they're doing it at some points drunkenly, but is it no less the path, the path back to God, if they're striving to do what's right, to repent, um, in our, you know, in our faith, meet with their bishop and work out their salvation. And that really speaks to me. This talk altogether really speaks to me deeply. But that particular quote just makes me think of so many people who are just really, really striving and struggling. And maybe on the outside, we're just seeing the mistakes. We're just hearing the stories secondhand of like, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? And yeah, they messed up again and, and they're on the outs or whatever it is, their marriage is falling apart or they're back in rehab or, you know, they're in jail or, you know, so whatever the case may be, you're getting these stories secondhand and maybe it's easy to look at them and be like, gosh, there he goes again, crawling into a bog. But on the inside, Christ knows the heart of people. Um, and I think in being in some of these 12 step meetings and hearing the sincerity of people who are seriously trying to make changes in their lives, like you can feel it. And it's, I think that's really what the atonement is all about is reaching down into those depths. Yeah. We talked about a, a little bit about this in the temple today too, after when we were just sitting chatting, after I read forever, you were very patient and let me read. We talked about one person that we know and love very much who has just been kind of an extreme example of that up and down and up and down. And we've seen this person really be up and on a high. And in fact, she is the reason why I finally was able to do my fourth step because I shared in a meeting once, I am struggling. I cannot figure this out. I'm overwhelmed. Every time I look at it, it just feels like too much. And she walked up and said, here, here's an AA worksheet. This will help you. And that was all I needed. She's been such a strength. She's helped change so many people's lives for the better. But at the same time, we've watched this person just also be in the lowest of lows. But the thing I love about her so much, like true, just absolute deep 
love and compassion is that she's not afraid to come back over and over and say, well, guys, I failed again and I'm here again to to work a program and to try again. Like I just feel so much love for her when I see her come to a meeting because I know how sincere it is. And even though she has, I've seen more struggle out of her than a lot of other people, she's so willing to keep coming back and to keep trying. And it's so inspiring to me, even though her her problems and her mistakes are super different than mine. It's all the same as far as just showing up to try to be better, you know? And I love the quotation from Babe Ruth. He says, you just can't beat the person who won't give up. And I think that also applies to our discipleship. Like we, we're not going to get it perfect. If we could, then we just wouldn't even need a savior. We'd be fine all on our own. Sometimes I think that Satan loves it when we feel down, when we make a mistake and loves to kind of get in there and be like, oh, see, you're a fraud or, or why try? Look at you. You're a loser. You did this wrong. I mean, I have those thoughts and feelings to a certain degree when I feel like, wow, I really messed up or I really should have done that better. And the only thing that we really can do is try to admit when we're wrong and make amends. And this is what I love step 10. And this is what it says. You will continue to make mistakes as you interact with others, but a commitment to step 10, which is daily accountability and, and admitting you're wrong as soon as you realize it. A commitment to step 10 is a commitment to take responsibility for mistakes. If you examine your thoughts and actions each day and resolve them, negative thoughts and feelings will not increase until they threaten your abstinence. You no longer have to live in isolation from the Lord or others. You will have strength and faith faith to face difficulties and overcome them. Because the isolation, even if you're not an addict, I think that everybody feels kind of like, oh, I want to retreat. I watch our kids do that. I watch our kids when they get into trouble, they want to just run away, you know, when they feel embarrassed or ashamed of making a mistake. And I think that's exactly how Satan wants us to feel like, oh, now you're worthless. Now you did something wrong. Like you're definitely not a disciple. You're not doing what you're supposed to be or whatever, you know, you're not living up to what you should be or what people around you expect or whatever, anything like that. And it's just, again, so interesting that Jesus responds in such a different way where he is instructive, but loving, always loving, always caring, never shaming. Absolutely. I, and maybe that actually makes me think of a, uh, one of my other, I, again, I love this topic. There's so many talks that have been given from the leaders in our church about this, but one of one that I love is, it's called, am I good enough? Will I make it? It's Elder Cornish. Oh, that's such a good talk. Is his name, but he, I, he loves, I love what he says here. A couple of different things about, I'll just read it. 
Um, He says, please, my beloved brothers and sisters, we must stop comparing ourselves to others. We torture ourselves needlessly by competing and comparing. We falsely judge our self-worth by the things we do or don't have and by the opinions of others. If we must compare, let us compare how we were in the past to how we are today and even how we want to be in the future. The only opinion of us that matters is what our Heavenly Father thinks of us. Please sincerely ask him what he thinks of you. He will love and correct, but never discourage us. Mm. That is Satan's trick, which is what you were just talking about. Like Satan, Satan loves to just take us and drag us down and and then draw like unfair comparisons with other people who it's, it's just not apples to apples. But then he goes on, Elder Cornish goes on, let me be direct and clear. The answers to the questions, am I good enough and will I make it, are yes. You are going to be good enough, and yes, you are going to make it, as long as you keep repenting and do not rationalize or rebel. And so I think as long as we're being honest and not rationalizing or rebelling and we're striving to use the atonement of Jesus Christ, then we're, we're opening ourselves up to the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and there is no hypocrisy in that, in being, and there's, there's true honesty at the at the core of that. So just, I don't know. I, I love, I love this topic. I just, because I think we're all in a fallen state and everyone's going to make mistakes. And it just sounds so almost so cheesy to say that like, well, we're all going to make mistakes. Um, but in a, that's until a, you, you do know, make until a mistake you do. and then you just feel or stupid and you want a massive mistake crawl or, in a hole, you know, varying and, levels. Yeah. So, but there's there, the grit. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of why Christ came to the earth, and it's what we're celebrating. Okay, I'm not recommending this book, just to be clear, but I did listen to probably half of Will Smith's book entitled Will, and I'm saying I'm not recommending it officially because there's swear words in it. But I just happened to listen to about half of it before that whole Oscars incident, and Interestingly, he goes through different people in his life. He goes through his dad, he goes through his mom. And when he talks about his grandma, the very beginning of that chapter, he says, if I would have just listened to everything my grandma taught me, we could just end this whole book right here. Because everything my grandma did, everything she would eat, sleep, and drink was to be like Jesus Christ, to be like the Savior. and." So he talks about this devotion that his grandma had to Jesus and how he knows that he wants to be more like that. And yet then he keeps going in his book about how he failed and where he went wrong and what he could have done better. And then this huge fail, massive fail moment in front of the whole entire world that now people are making memes of and people want to cancel him forever and I think about that and I I thought that was so interesting that he would basically say, my grandma had it all right. And if I would just listen to her still even now, if, if I would just do what she taught me, I would be good. So he even recognizes if I would just be like Jesus, the way that my grandma taught me, everything would work out just great. But I am an imperfect man and it's so... When I watched that whole thing unfold, 
and I talked about this a little bit on Instagram stories, I, not that there was like, oh, listen, that's dismissible. But it was interesting to me to watch it just in the lens of knowing that Will Smith actually is a God-fearing man who believes in Jesus Christ. It's a little bit similar to looking at these disciples of Christ in the New Testament who their mistakes are written for everyone to review and to read about and to like, no, Thomas, he probably did all kinds of wonderful things as an apostle of the actual Savior, Jesus Christ, but we all know him as Doubting Thomas because that's kind of the story that is the highlight. At least for me, that's like what I associate my knowledge of him with. And and yet, as I was reading that today, I felt a lot of like, okay, I could see where where I've gone wrong and where this is a little bit more relatable. And so I look at someone like Will, Will Smith and I'm like, he is just like you and me as far as being a person who wants to follow Christ and is doing it very imperfectly. And where I think sometimes the world wants to be like, oh, cancel, cancel. This person, they showed their true colors, they're evil or they're terrible and we should make an example of them. We should cancel them. No, that's not how the Savior treated any of these people who denied him or didn't believe that he actually was resurrected. In each of those instances, he's loving, he's kind, he's still instructive, but with compassion. And I just think that's, we can see that more and I can do a better job of seeing that with people around me who make mistakes that maybe are hurtful to me because we're all just trying to learn. And in fact, I, this memory keeps coming up too of as, as far as like learning, making mistakes, doing better. I had an assistant a few years ago who quit and she quit at a really inconvenient time for me. And when she quit, I still remember we were sitting on my front porch and I was upset. Like when she told me I'm quitting, I just can't do this job anymore. I'm so stressed out. And I was upset with her. I mean, I didn't yell at her, but I was, I let her know that I was super disappointed and upset. And she was just still really kind and kind of humbly slash. I don't know what the right word is, but, you know, sheepishly finished her two weeks and then went on her way. And it wasn't until a year or two later that I was reading something in like a business book or whatever about leadership and how you should treat employees. And it just, it hit me that I handled that so poorly. And so I reached out to her and said, hey, I'm so sorry, Morgan. I really, I handled that so poorly. I was in the wrong I hope you'll forgive me. And not only was it, it was just, it was really cool because she's a really kind and gracious person. And so then like when Dave died, she reached out to me and offered to totally design. She has these beautiful graphic design skills. So she offered to design all of the funeral programs for Dave's funeral. And that was just such a kind and loving thing. I know it had to have taken her a ton of time and she just did it out of love and the other thing about that situation is learning from that mistake prepared me for when other employees, you know, we had another employee that was with us for five years that was really, really super important to our family. And when she quit, 
instead of having that same reaction that I had with Morgan several years before, I had learned from that mistake. So I was prepared to just think of what was best for her and just show and express love. And so I think that instead of doing what Satan wants us to do and feel like, wow, you really are worthless. That's how he wants us all to feel. You made a mistake. You are unworthy. Like you're a bad person. The Savior wants us to just learn and just be better. And like you're saying, compare yourself. Are you better than you used to be? Are you getting better? Are you learning? Are you making progress? And so that's one instance where I was able to learn from that mistake, try to make amends, and then do better the next time that the opportunity to act or react in a good or bad way presented itself. And so I think that if we can just take each of these times where we make a mistake and do exactly what the 12-step process instructs us to do to immediately say you're sorry when you're wrong and admit that you're wrong and then try to make amends and just learn from it, that's all the Savior expects of us. That's all our Heavenly Father expects of us is to just keep trying to do a little bit better each day. No, I love that. I, I mean, one of my favorite like church songs is I'm trying to be like Jesus. It's a primary song, like the little kids sing it, but I, the basics are where it's at. If you listen to it, it's so simple. It's like the little kids learn how to sing it. And I remember learning it in primary, but like you listen to the words and now thinking about it in regard to this topic, it's so unbelievably powerful. And I'm like, man, that really just sums it up. Like I'm trying to be like Jesus, you know, like that's what I'm trying to do. And, and I think striving and trying and like, these are the adjectives that, that stand out to me in trying to pursue discipleship or be a disciple of Christ or be a good person or, or do what's right. All of this, it's, it's trying. There's not a perfection. There's not an arrival like now I've perfected this and I'm, <laughs> no. I'm good across the board. And that's the whole point of like why we're down here. So really, really cool. President Hinckley was our prophet growing up. And I still love to think of his words, try a little harder to be a little better. It wasn't try super hard to be perfect because that's what we expect of you. It was try a little harder to be a little better. And so I think if we just take that to heart and Remember that Jesus knows that we're going to make mistakes. And that's the whole point of being here is to make those mistakes and learn from them and make them right and become more like him eventually. Be thou perfect eventually. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.